Hello and welcome to the Waking Up to Grace podcast, where we celebrate and explore the finished work of our Lord, Jesus Christ. The Waking Up to Grace podcast can be found on every major platform. And now, here's Lenny. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Today, we are going to be talking about true Israel. Romans chapter 9, verse 6, Paul says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And we look at this passage and you're like, what? What is he talking about? What is all this Israel stuff? You might ask the question at the end of all this, will the true Israel please stand up? (laughs) That's the title of today's podcast. I thought it was clever. Uh, I don't know what you guys might think about this. I think it's going to hit a lot of people's paradigms and really change the way you see things. So be prepared. Why does this even matter? What does it matter what Paul's saying about true Israel? Well, he considered it to be a mystery that he was revealing that even the Old Testament believers would not have known. You know, we have all these prophecies in Scripture in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. I mean, the Old Testament points to Jesus in nearly every way, but this was a mystery that he was revealing to the believers in Rome that, you know, they would not have known and and prior to this, they wouldn't have known. This was a, a revealed mystery. And so if the Apostle Paul was telling his church that I'm revealing this mystery to you, wouldn't you want to know what that mystery was? Wouldn't you want to know the details? I did. So that's why I'm doing <laughs> That's why we're doing the show. So let's dig in. So today we're going to be going through the fact that Paul is describing two different Israels here in Romans chapter 9. And the promise was to true Israel, it was the elect, and it was never intended for the whole nation. So the promise was to true Israel, the elect from Israel, never intended for the whole nation. And Jesus is true Israel. Israel is the body of Christ, is what Paul is showing us in this letter. And I'm going to show you why you can come to this conclusion. Some of you guys out there have probably heard it, but it's rare. So looking at Romans chapter 9 through 11, it's called a theodicy. It's a defense of God. Paul is defending God because the people, you know, the Jewish believers from Rome would have been asking several questions about what's going on here, you know, with this with this gospel thing. This, you know, something doesn't sound right here. But why do we need to know this? And why is it so important for Christians? Well, I'd say, number one, Paul is revealing a mystery. Jesus had said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. At that time, they didn't know what he was talking about. And so Paul's talking about this too, and it ties in. But number two, reason why Christians need to know this is that without this knowledge, God's promise to Israel failed. So we got to realize this, that God promised Israel all these things. They were the inheritance. They were the chosen nation. And so did God's promise fail? That's the question. And that's the question the Jews would have been asking Paul. And we're going to get into that. Bottom line, how can you trust God if he breaks promises? Paul's saying here, and it's very clear that for not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel, what he's saying is you guys misunderstood the promise. You guys missed it. Christ was the promise. He was the promise. The body of Christ was the promise all along, the true Israel. Okay, so keep that in mind as we're going through this. This is going to allow us to understand the reason for the second coming of Jesus and the synonymous wrath 
on Israel that occurred in 70 AD. I don't know if you guys have looked at this before, but this view ties in to fulfilled eschatology because that's the only way we can understand this passage, to be honest with you. And it's important, especially with all that's going on out there right now. So most of Israel misunderstood this promise that God had made to them. And so that's what Paul is addressing. You know, he's addressing that in Romans chapter 9. And we just hit on that briefly where he's trying to share with them the mystery, the true promise. So Romans eleven twenty five says, lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Rewinding back to Romans chapter 11, verse 11, Paul saying, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. He's trying to help them understand God has not rejected his people, meaning he didn't break his promise. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I am left alone and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So we see that Israel was hardened by God. They were under a curse because of their disobedience, because of their constant resistance. He basically just said, I'm done with you. I'm, I'm hardening you guys. You're not going to see this coming. And he saved a remnant. That's what happened. You know, that might be hard to stomach for some people, but God chose to do that. So Romans 11, Paul tells us about a second Israel here in Romans 11. The second Israel is not the nation Israel. It's a remnant of the nation that believe. So it's a remnant of the nation of Israel who believe. And then it's the Gentiles who believe that he's talking about. The true Israel is the, the believers, which would be a remnant from Israel. And then the Gentiles, all the rest. What we really have is that believers are the Israel of God, that the race Race doesn't matter, according to Paul. You know, it's the new creation that matters. And he's saying, I put no confidence in the flesh. That's the opposite of what the Jews said. They would have, you know, had the, the works, the lineage, the heritage. Paul was always saying, I put no confidence in the flesh. Why was he saying that? It was the opposite of the Jews. To Israel, Yahweh revealed himself. Yahweh is actually the name, God's actual name in Hebrew. To Israel, Yahweh revealed himself. For them was the messianic promise, the promise of Messiah. To Israel came the Christ. So they were special. But the promise was not to the whole nation. So we're going to dig into this a little bit. And here's an interesting passage to think about on this topic, too. Jesus said in Luke 21:20, 20, and now he said this to 
the Jewish people that he was speaking to in the first century. He said, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not, not those who are in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. These are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. This people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled would have been when the body of Christ came to full maturity. And that would have been in 70 AD. The fullness had arrived. And in 70 AD would have been the end of God's wrath on Jerusalem that took place from 67 to 70 AD. Terrible event, but it was a wrath against those people. Just as Jesus said was going to occur, he told them that it was going to happen. He said it was going to happen in their lifetime while some of them were still preaching. <laughs> it was going to happen very soon in Romans 2.28. To jump back into the true Israel, Paul says that for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So, basically saying that believers are Jews and heart. We're Jews at heart. He's already, you know, in chapter 2, before chapter 9 and 11 came along, already introducing us to this idea. We are Jews in heart. We're spiritual. Spiritually, we are Israel. Okay? So now we're really going to start digging in here. And this is where it gets real interesting. So in Hosea chapter 11, Hosea is talking about Israel's exodus out of Egypt, okay? But then in Matthew 2.13, he's saying the prophecy is about something different. So this, let's listen to this. Matthew is saying that if this prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus, but in Hosea 11.1, 1, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. This was about Israel's exodus out of Egypt, Okay. And then in Matthew, it says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. So everybody knows the story about Jesus. They departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And, but Matthew at the end says, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. In quotes, out of Egypt, I called my son. So he was referring to Hosea. But he's saying that Jesus' birth was to fulfill what had been spoken by this prophet, who was referring to Israel's exodus out of Egypt. He's making a parallel here to Israel. Isn't that crazy? So then in Exodus 4.21, we, we have Israel being referred to as the firstborn. And then Paul calls Jesus God's son in Colossians. So in Exodus 4.21, it says, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And then in Colossians 
Paul writes, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So now Paul is saying that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, where in Exodus, it's being said that Israel is God's firstborn. Another parallel, is it a coincidence? In Exodus 19.5, this is where God made Israel, says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God's telling Moses to speak these words to the people of Israel. So this this definitely part of the promise. You shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, people among peoples, treasured. We find that these things were said later on by the apostles, and it's quite interesting. So let's dig into this the analogy of the vine. So who is the true vine? I think we all know that Jesus proclaimed himself as the vine, right? I am the true vine. So Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Every branch in me, and this is the ESV version, you know, just so everybody knows the English standard version of the Bible. Uh, Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser or gardener. I'm putting that in parentheses. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So that's what he says in John 15. And then go back to the Old Testament prophecies. They're saying, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. And he's talking about Israel again. What we would think is nation Israel. And then in Isaiah 5, he says, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold an outcry. So we have this view where the walls were broken down and it was trampled and destroyed. It removed its hedge for it to be devoured. And so we, we have this comparison here where the vine's being compared. So Jesus is saying after that, Israel being referred to as the vine, Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. So those guys would have known. You know, they would have been like, what are you trying to say? You know, if they knew their scriptures, which many of them did then, especially the Pharisees, <laughs> they would they would have been, I'm sure, keen on what he was trying to tell them here. 
In Galatians, Paul says the promise to Abraham and his seed is not plural, it's one. He says, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So the promise was between Abraham and Christ. It was for Abraham and Christ, and it was going to end up being all who believe in Christ. And then he goes on later in Galatians says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who, who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. He obeyed in every way. You know, and this is this is me saying this now. Jesus obeyed in every way. And, you know, you look at the 40 days in the desert in contrast with Israel's 40 years in the desert. And you just have all these contrasts where where Jesus was obedient. Later in, in Galatians chapter six, Paul's saying, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The Israel of God. So the circumcision would have been Israel here when you, we refers to the circumcision on uh, mutilators of the flesh. You know, we'll talk about you guys are mutilators of the flesh. He would have been referring to the, the surgery of circumcision. So Ephesians. So let's look at some passages about what God's doing with this Israel thing and bringing the people together into this church into the body of Christ. Ephesians 2.18, he broke down the wall of hostility, it says. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, you know, the Israel and the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, the church, the new Israel. And then Peter's talking about this too. He said, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer. He's not talking about the Jewish people. He's not talking about Israel as a nation. He's talking about believers. He's talking to the believers here to be a holy priesthood. These are the same words we're hearing. 
Living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Can you imagine, you know, being a Pharisee hearing these kinds of things? You'd be stoning these guys. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And we heard about that in the curse earlier. And they were hardened by God, according to Paul in Romans. And Peter's saying the same thing. They were destined to disobey. Destined. But you, to the believers, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This sounds exactly like what we read earlier. A holy nation. This is the promise, you guys. This is the, you know, you compare and contrast, and these promises to Israel were theirs. They inherited. We inherited. The believer inherited the inheritance. That was the promise of the Abrahamic covenant, the promise that God made to Abraham. We inherited it, you guys. We are the true Israel. We are the new and the true Israel. That's what Paul is talking about. And so Peter goes on, he says, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's telling these people, I'm imagining a lot of them were Jews because Peter was the apostle to the Jews. These guys would have been the remnant. He's saying you you were not a people at one time. He's telling this to people that were Jews. They thought they were the people. He's saying you once were not a people. He's saying the opposite of what they thought. Because the promise was to the elect for this time that was coming. It was the ones who believed by faith. He's saying you once were not a people, but now that you believe, now that you believe in the promise, you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, as is written in the Old Testament prophecies, Israel was hardened. They were under a curse. But now you have received mercy. Wow, some amazing stuff. I'm going to look at Romans 9, 6 again in the ESV version, just to reflect back on what we're focusing on. But it is not as though the word of God failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. So the promise was to Israel, but it wasn't to the, it was misunderstood. Okay. So it was the wrong, they had, they thought they were the Israel, but the body of Christ was the true Israel. You guys want to check out some history, look at 70 AD and look at some of the recorded history. Especially if you want to go deep, you can look at what was written by uh, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian. He was actually a traitor to the Jews. And they captured him, and he they allowed him to write a history about his people. You see that in 70 AD, that the, that was the end times for the Jews. It was over. All the tribes were scattered. They lost all tribal relations. The genealogy records were destroyed, and there was no way to trace the origins back. There's no longer a priesthood. Without a lineage, there can be no priesthood. You need the lineage. You have to trace that down, and it has to be passed down. Since 70 AD, there is no Jewish race, there's no Jewish religion, there's no sacrifices being made, and they do not follow the Mosaic law. They follow the Talmud. 
the Jewish race, religion, the sacrifices, them following the Mosaic law and being God's people, that's been over for over 2,000 years. And people are still talking about it today. Today, what's going on in Israel? Prophecies being fulfilled. Well, I'm here to tell you guys that there's nothing going on out there that's being fulfilled in prophecy today because all prophecy has been fulfilled. Just like Jesus said that when the army surrounded Jerusalem, right? That would have been the Roman army in 70 AD. You know, what What was Jesus saying and what were uh, people saying about the, the non-believing Jews at the time? There was a lot of hostility between Christians and non-believing Jews. During the times of Christ and the apostles, it was terrible. Jesus, when he was speaking, the Jews answered him at one point and they said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works that your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever's of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So you have Jesus, the Messiah, again, telling the Jewish people their father is the devil. Jesus was Jewish by, by lineage. He was from the tribe of Judah. Joseph would have been from that lineage, from the tribe of Judah. So you have him telling them that you are you did not hear me because you are not of God. Can you have the son of God perform miracles right in front of their face? And they killed him. Revelations 1.6, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So he's coming in on the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Interesting. So if the ones who pierced him are going to see him 2,000 years later coming in on the clouds in wrath and they'd be wailing about it, they'd have to be like 2,000-something years old by now. I mean, that's that's a long time, you guys. I think he was talking about the people that actually pierced him. Like he said, the tribes of the earth will wail. Think about that. The tribes of the earth will wail. He's not talking about the whole earth. This isn't a wrath on the whole earth. This is a wrath on Israel, you guys. And it happened in Acts 2.36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. The Jesus whom you crucified. I think it was pretty clear who crucified Jesus. It was the Jewish people at that time. Those who pierced him were the Jewish people in the first century. They're not us. It doesn't stretch into the vast regions of 2,000 years later on earth. So we're going to be digging into some parables here next that, that get really good. And, you know, just just ponder for a minute. You always hear the word anti-Semite, 
you know, and people are always getting in trouble for being anti-Semite and who knows, you know, maybe maybe somebody would consider this to be anti-Semite, but you never hear anti-Christ being used these days unless somebody's talking about the end of the world. That's the only time you say anti-Christ. That's now what anti-Christ meant. And first John, when he was talking about the anti-Christ, he said, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist who denies the father and son. What? He who denies the father and the son? That's the antichrist? That's it? It's the non-believers. So the Jewish people, the non-believing Jews, were the antichrist. They were the ones that were going around persecuting everybody and killing them and having them killed by the Romans and stirring up all this persecution. In Revelations 3.9, it says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not. But lie, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. There again, in you know, Revelations 3, chapter 3, it refers to the non-believing Jews as the synagogue of Satan. They say they are Jews, but they are not. They lie, but they will bow down before him. This all happened. It couldn't be now, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to get into the facts of why it couldn't be now. can't be now. It's not possible. But it happened in 70 AD. Jerusalem was decimated. The tribal relations are over. The temple was destroyed, you guys. It's over. You can't rebuild it a third time and say that, oh, this is the one that Jesus said was going to be not a stone left unturned. You can't change that. Galatians 6, 14 says, But far be it from me to boast, Paul says, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So in Matthew 21, 21, 18, we'll see this analogy where the fig tree that Jesus is talking about is Israel. And in 21, 33, the vineyard is Israel. In 21, 34, the fruit is justice and righteousness. And then in Matthew 21, verse 40, They'll put those wretches to death. He's referring to the AD 70 and the kingdom being taken away. Okay, so Israel destroyed, Jerusalem destroyed, and the kingdom taken away. So, so let's read this with that idea in mind and see if it fits. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it, but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. May no fruit ever come from you again. Wow. So the the fig tree was Israel. He's talking about the wrath coming. You know, that was a parallel to the wrath. And so here he goes with this parallel. He says, here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one killed another, and stoned another. These are the prophets. And this was Israel, stoning and killing the prophets. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, 
Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. So I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Who is that? The kingdom taken and given to a people producing its fruits. Who was the old people and who was the new people? Well, you had the nation Israel and the true Israel, the new and true Israel that Christ was revealing. And every everyone who rejected him was going to get crushed. It happened. Did, did God go back on his promise? No. No, he didn't. The, the promise was misunderstood. Today's Israel, today's Jewish believers, believers in Judaism, rather, followed the Talmud, not the Mosaic law. So they're no longer following the law. They can't follow the law. They don't have a temple. And they, you know, for over 2,000 years, they haven't made a single sacrifice. There's a big problem there. But when you look at their Talmud that they follow, which is basically just like a, a commentary on the Mosaic Law, the sad thing is that the Talmud says that Jesus is boiling in hell in excrement. So boiling in hot feces in hell. That's where they place Jesus in the Talmud. Not exactly peaceful. But then again, nobody gets mad at somebody being an antichrist. That's just no big deal as long as the world's not ending. So interestingly, there's two different articles, one of them entitled Out of Kazaria, where the Hebrew language, it's written that the Hebrew language and Jewish culture have been around for thousands of years. For much of that history, the Jews managed to maintain their heritage and culture identity in the absence of a geographical state. So these are the origins of of the Jewish people, and this is what science, you know people are looking at when they look at history. Okay, wanderings, settlements, and dispersal were thus a big part of their history. Is evidence for that history preserved in genome data? Aaron Elhaik, a geneticist at the John Hopkins School of Public Health, thinks so. In a recently published study in Genome Biology Evolution, he is calling for a rewrite of commonly held assumptions about Jewish ancestry. Instead of being primarily the descendants of the 12 tribes of Israel, present-day Jewish populations are, finds El Haik, primarily the children of a Turkish people who lived in what is now Russia, north of Georgia, east of Ukraine. This civilization, the Khazars, converted from tribal religions to Judaism between the 7th and 9th century. So basically, the people got scattered and they started mingling, you know, into different regions. And, uh, and all of a sudden, these Khazars in the 7th and 9th century started converting over to Judaism. And another paper written called Evidence of Jewish Genome is Lacking says, for a more scientific take on the Jewish origin debate, recent DNA analysis of Ashkenazaic Jews, a Jewish ethnic group, revealed that their maternal line is European. It has also been found that their DNA only has 3% ancient ancestry, which links them with the Eastern Mediterranean. So only 3% that links them to the Eastern Mediterranean, also known as the Middle East, namely Israel, Lebanon, and parts of Syria and Western Jordan. 
This is the part of the world Jewish people are said to have originally come from, according to the Old Testament. But 3% is a minuscule amount and similar to what modern Europeans as a whole share with Neanderthals. So given that the genetic ancestry is link is so low, Ashkenazic Jews' most recent ancestors must be from elsewhere. So when you dig into the origins, and I can link to these articles and show you guys if you want, and I, I might put it in the notes. Otherwise, I might just you know share it with people if they want to look, but it's there. It's all on one of them's fizz.org news, and the other one is PubMed. These are all real sites. Actually, a Jewish scientist that looked into this stuff, he was trying to care for the people. He wanted to get the DNA right. They used to do testing, evidently, based on Jewish bloodlines because it was solid and stable. But they found that it was the opposite. There's, They're not even true ethnic Jews. So where did they go? On that note, where would the second coming be? Whose wrath would it be on? Okay, there's no temple. There's no ethnic Jews. There's no religious Jews. There's no animal sacrifices. There's there's nothing. The people that pierced Jesus have become basically Gentiles by blood. So who would the second coming wrath be on? It just there's no logic in it, you guys. We gotta stop believing these silly paradigms just because we've been hearing it. It's crazy. You know, we hear these things and they're embedded into our minds, but just pause for a minute and think, you know, has what I've been told, what I've been told, is it true? Just take a brief look at, a, you know, the second coming. Do you believe in a return of Christ in the flesh? Do you believe in a physical second coming? That's what most people would believe today. But do you know that this concept is actually not found anywhere in Scripture? Do you know there's nowhere in Scripture that Jesus said Jesus is coming back in the flesh? Kind of interesting, isn't it? You know, you have all these doctrines out there and, you know, a lot of grace teachers too. God bless them. They're, but they're out there telling people, oh, don't get don't get too into that stuff. It's a distraction. But Jesus is coming back in the flesh. They'll hold to it, even though they tell you not to get into it. You know, don't dig into that stuff. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Just hold on to what's out there. It's it's fine. It's good enough. But it's not. It's it's a, It's just all garbage. <laughs> Jesus isn't coming back, you guys. He already did. So in Mark chapter 13, 21, it says, And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. Well, why would Mark say that? Why would it be said in Mark that don't believe it if somebody says, look, there he is? Because he wasn't coming physically. That's what I think that passage is hinting at. Like, hello, guys, if he says he's over there, it's not. That's not the way he's coming. So let's look at a, a parallel before we close out. This is a very interesting parallel. So we have Jesus. We, we heard some passages earlier talking about coming in on the clouds, right? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 63. This is uh, Jesus when he got captured by the Pharisees and, you know, they seized him and we're going to hand him over. It says they were questioning him. It says, but Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. <laughs> from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. <laughs> then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do you need? You have now heard his blasphemy. They had an idea what he was trying to say, and I don't know if they understood the full extent of what he was saying, but Psalm 104, verse 3 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, 
Oh, Lord, my God. So we're going to talk about the, the clouds here. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on his on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. I hope this has helped you guys in some way to better understand that there there is a true Israel. The national Israel has fallen, never to return. True Israel is the church, the body of Christ. So if you go back and read Romans, check out Romans 9 through 11. Put this stuff together. You know, it's, a, it's amazing. True Israel is the church, the body of Christ. That was the true Israel all along. The prophets, everything was leading up to true Israel, Jesus. If the second coming was for Israel, how would that work today? There's no Jews, no temple. It's gone. Should we await a third coming, a third destruction of Jerusalem? Or should we just believe what Jesus said to his apostles? I'm coming soon. While some of you are still alive. In your lifetimes, while some of you are still going from town to town, I say we believe in Jesus. I just say we believe what Jesus said. That's a, that's always an easy one for a Christian, I would say. Let's just go with that. That's my opinion. But, you know, you guys can believe whatever you want to until God changes our minds. <clears throat> so the good news from all this, what can we pull from all this? The good news is that God's supposed wrath on the world was only for Israel, and it was fulfilled almost 2,000 years ago. That's good news. I don't know about you guys, but pretty cool to, to know that that's over. The other good news, the body of Christ, the church, has no end. There is no end times for the church. It goes on forever, forever. The church is eternal. And we don't have any reason to believe that the world is ending because the scripture doesn't teach it. So if you guys want to think that, you can, you know, but you, you hear all this stuff about hurricanes and weather. It's not prophecy. <laughs> sorry, sorry to let you down. Global warming is not prophecy fulfilled. Forget it. So there's the other good news. There is no condemnation for those who believe in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who believe in Christ Jesus. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the end of times has happened a long time ago. The end of the age, it happened a long time ago, 2,000 years ago, and we're still acting like it's going to come as if some kind of prophecy going to be fulfilled that doesn't make Jesus look very good. Well, you call the fire department, you say, my house is on fire. And they say, I'll be, I'll be there soon. You know, and two years later, 20 years later, they're there. Would, would you be happy? Would you, would you consider that they did their job? I don't think so. I don't think so. You guys that, you know, let's, let's rejoice in the finished work of Jesus. He finished it all. He finished everything. You guys, everything that he said, he came out to do everything he said he was going to do. Every prophecy that he made was fulfilled. It's finished, finished at the cross and finished even more at the second coming. You are the church. You are the true Israel. Forget about national Israel and the nation of Israel. It doesn't even exist. It's gone. We have one. You can call you can call today's Israel Israel if you want to, but you're the true Israel. That nation was created, you know, and reestablished in the 60s. It's not real. There's no bloodlines, there's no lineage, there's no temple. There's never going to be. It's never going to happen because it's gone. It's gone forever. And but what is here forever? What is here forever and what will never get forgotten? What can history not erase for 2000 years? Jesus Christ, 
God, the Father, Lord of all, Yahweh, God the Father, Jesus the Christ, whose name is actually Yeshua, Yeshua, the Hebrew, the Hebrew name that is his, Yeshua. You don't hear that. The shift of paradigm, you guys. But all those who believe in the name will be saved. Thanks for being on. Hope you join us again. Thank you for joining us today. This podcast is brought to you by Waking Up to Grace Ministries. You can visit our blog page, add comments, or reach us privately from our contact form at wakinguptograce.com.